Good morning. It is good to have you here braving the elements out in this crazy weather. It's amazing. Good to have you here. Those of you in Skagit, glad that you joined us as well. Uh, you may not be aware of this in this room, but this was a big uh, week for our Skagit campus because this week the uh, new sign, the Cornwall sign, went up on the new facilities that we're getting ready to move into. So that was a, a big step. So now... Uh, it's kind of gone public down there, and they're doing some renovations in Skagit. There's over 90 people from Bellingham that, that have signed up to join you this Saturday to paint the living daylights out of that facility. So that's going to be a, a great time on Saturday. Boca Raton, hope you're enjoying sunny Florida. It's good to have you. Those of you watching online, I understand that there's a lot more of you watching uh, live stream right now online. And I just got to tell you, Thank you for staying home. There's not any seats available in here. It is standing room only. If you would have shown up, uh, we don't know what we would have done. So glad that you can be there in your pajamas, eating your muffin and watching uh, online. It's good to have you with us. I understand a lot of, uh, especially in North County, that, that Linden got hit really, really hard with, with snow. And, you know, it's kind of appropriate. We're talking about money, you know, Linden. And um, <laughs> There are some that actually believe that Jesus came from a Jewish-Dutch background, that there are some ancient manuscripts that say that was Jesus Vanderchrist, but that's still, uh, we're not totally sure. But we're glad that you're with us as we finish up this series right on the money. I've got a friend, uh, Marty, who's a pastor of a very, very large church in Oklahoma City, and this church is very influential in their community. Um, on the one hand, it's a very wealthy church, but they do incredible things. They have a free clinic and auto repair for, for single moms. I mean, they do amazing things. And amongst other things, as you drive onto their campus with their rolling hills and the, and the ponds, I mean, it's, it's spectacular, state-of-the-art, everything. They have a school, a pretty large school, a thousand students in their school. And a few years ago, they were building some more facilities and raising funds for that. And there was kind of a shortfall. And apparently, there was a, a couple, uh, a family that has done really well. They own a a chain of, uh, a national chain of stores. There's 600 of them. Uh, they employ about 23,000 people. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, I won't tell you the, the chain, but Mount Vernon, you just got one of their stores in the last couple years, and we're getting one this year, so figure that out. So this, this couple don't go to Marty's church, but their grandchildren are in the school. So this couple wrote a check for $5 million dollars. And uh, this was a few years ago, and so we are at this pastor's gathering, and Marty was telling us, he was just like amazed by it, and all of those other pastors were like, could you imagine having that couple in your church? And, um, and I want you to hear me all the way out, and trust me on this. If I, have, I was thinking about, what if a, a couple like that attended Cornwall? If I had to choose, if it were a choose, if I had to choose between a very, very wealthy family that was extremely generous or a church filled with people that weren't as wealthy, but were living according to biblical principles, and I had to choose one or the other, without hesitation, I would choose a church filled with people that made far less money, even gave less money, but were living according to biblical principles, even if that meant the budget was smaller. Because I believe that church would be more blessed because you have more people living according to God's word and you have uh, more people that are involved, invested. It would be a much healthier church, a much more blessed church. Now, with that said, if you have grandchildren in our children's ministry and we're getting ready to write a $5 million check, by all means, come and see me. We don't want to steal that blessing from you. Please be obedient on that. But, but I desire for us as a church, all of us, no matter where we are, in the economic scale of things, to be living according to biblical principles in the area, in all of our areas, but it, even in this area of finance. Last week, we looked at the writings and the wisdom of, of Solomon. 
and found that he had this way of just looking at things and observing and, and drawing insights and, and then writing down this wisdom. And sometimes it was counterintuitive. And one of those things that he wrote down was this, a little bit counterintuitive. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Uh, on the surface, it's like, this doesn't make sense. It's the one who gives it away, he just gets more. And the other one says, no, I want to hold on this, and he's the one that loses it all. And, um, and, and this, this tells us a truth and a principle that I hope describes all of us. I want us to be more generous as individuals, as a church, uh, just to be able to do that. Now, I'm excited about us learning to live in the biblical principles in our finances. And I'm pumped about the 160 of us that start the Financial Peace University a week from Thursday night as we go through that course together, learning and growing even more. And as you know, I believe in, in what God's word says, the wisdom that has served people well for thousands of years. I love biblical principles. You know how I feel about paying down and eliminating debt. You know how I feel about having a safety net and some savings so that there's margin in your life, living below your means, understanding contentment, knowing the difference between needs and wants. But today, I'm pumped because I get to preach about the, the financial principle, biblical financial principle, that is so exciting it's one that I love. It's, I, I, have, I learned this one when I was a little kid. I'm grateful for my parents. In fact, I texted my mom yesterday and said, thank you for teaching this to me when I was a little kid. And I just long for this for every single one of us. It's a financial principle that I have lived by my entire life. Last week, when I told you about my, my chapter when I was just doing stupid, foolish things financially, even in that season, I still lived by this principle. And the principle I'm talking about is the principle of the tithe or 10%, this idea of tithing. And I alluded to it last week when I talked about having a plan, and the simple plan that I really like is the 10-10-80 plan. It's that first 10, that the first 10%, we honor God with that. The first 10%, we give to God. The first 10%, we allow God to be a part of our financial world. And then the second 10%, we save, and then we live on the 80 it's that whole deal. Now, this idea of tithing or giving 10% to the work of God, investing in the kingdom of God, you know, funding God's church and, and his endeavors, that's not something I came up with. It's not something a board came up with or a finance committee came up with. It's a biblical principle that dates clear back to Genesis chapter 14. Now, if you were with us two summers ago and we studied the life of Abraham, you may have been here that week when Abraham has that, that encounter with that mysterious man, Melchizedek. It's a great, great chapter in, in Genesis 14. A lot of mysteri mysterious nature about who is this Melchizedek, this king of Salem, this king of peace. And as you remember, he blesses him, and then he, he institutes this precursor of communion. And then Abraham's response... Abraham's response is that he gives one-tenth of everything he has, his flocks, his herds, his, his, his household wealth. He gives one-tenth of it to this king, Melchizedek. He tithes to him. Fourteen chapters later, in Genesis 28, very familiar story for some of you raised in church. Jacob's out. He, he makes a pillow out of He takes a stone and has this pillow. He falls asleep, and he has this really weird dream. You know, we're climbing Jacob's ladder, this stairway into heaven and all that whole deal. Not the song, but this dream that he has. And then he wakes up, and he recognizes this is God's house, and he calls the place Bethel, house of God, Bethel. And there he says, if God will be my God, if he'll go with me and he'll provide for me, I will give him a tenth of all of my stuff. He says, I will commit to tithing to God. 
Then and later, when God is laying down kind of the guidelines for what it means to be his people, he says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, he gives them some laws. And in Leviticus, he you know, codifies this whole thing that, that Abraham and Jacob have done. In Leviticus, it says a tithe, 10%, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, this line, it is holy to the Lord. And then he goes on to talk as well about, about their flocks and about their herds as well. So he says, 10% of everything that your, your fields, your vineyards, your orchards produce, 10% of that, it belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. And same with your flocks and your herds. Holy to the Lord. We've talked about this before, that the word holy, sometimes we make it ultra spiritual. Holy simply means set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a divine purpose. Set apart for God's purpose. So he says 10% of everything that you produce, it's set apart. It belongs to God. It's set apart for his purpose. And he laid that out. And Israel followed that. And as you know, Israel had these ups and downs. Sometimes they did well following God. Sometimes they did poorly. And when it came to this tithe, there were seasons that they started kind of just cutting corners, fudging a little bit. Not bringing actually 10%, maybe bringing a little bit less. And, and God would always tell them, bring your first and your best. And they started backing away from that. They'd start bringing some leftovers. They'd start bringing some stuff that was less than their best. And when they would start bringing the animals for sacrifice, they would bring the ones they didn't want anyway. The runts, you know, the ones that were lame, the ones that were crippled, the ones that were diseased. They wanted them out of the flocks anyway. They says, hey, let's just take it to Take it to church, you know, kind of let's give it to them. Let them deal with it. And that kind of kills two birds with one stone. And God says, you know, this is not what I had in mind. And finally, at one point, when he just like gets fed up with him, he sends the prophet Malachi and he confronts this. You have to read the whole book, especially the first chapter of Malachi. And then he gets to chapter uh, three and he says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. We don't have time to go in this whole thing. The tithe was at 10%. They were also required to give for the year of Jubilee, for some festivals, for the temple. Actually, the Israelites gave between 23 and 25% of their income. So, but, but the tithe says, you're, you're robbing me with these tithes. So whenever you, you look at a, a scripture like this, whenever I preach on something like this, there's always someone who will say, well, yeah, thanks, Pastor Bob, but isn't that an Old Testament principle? Yes, it is. But so is thou shalt not kill. Just because that's an Old Testament principle doesn't mean we don't follow that one today. Just as thou shalt not commit adultery. Yes, it's an Old Testament principle. But sometimes there's this idea, with, well, that was the Old Testament. Now we're free in Christ and Jesus was the final sacrifice and we don't have to do those things. Hey, that all sounds good, except if you read the whole of, of Scripture, you'll see that when Jesus would talk about the Old Testament, he would say, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, he often quotes the Old Testament. He says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you. And then he always says, let's take it up. Let's raise the bar. Let's get beyond this minimum you know, entrance requirements. Thou shalt not kill, I'm telling you, don't even be, you know, say ill words to your brother or hate your neighbor. Thou shalt not commit adultery, I'm saying don't even lust if you look lustfully. So he just always takes it up a next level. And there was a time when Jesus was reprimanding the Pharisees, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and they were so meticulous about keeping the law. 
And he refers to specifically the way that they kept the law on this tithe, this Leviticus passage. Because they not only gave 10%, they were so meticulous that there were even things like the little herb garden they had in their kitchen window. And we looked at this verse last December when we were studying Micah 6, 8 about doing justly. And Jesus says, woe to you teachers. That's not a, that's not a, that means this isn't going to go well for you. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. He says, you not only give a tenth of your flocks and your herds and your vineyards and your orchards, even the, the mint and the, and the dill, these little, little spices that you have, you even say, okay, well, this produce this much, 10% goes to God. He says, you do all that, but, and this is what we looked at in December, you've neglected the more important matters of the law. What about doing justice? What about speaking up for the oppressed? What about having mercy? What about a heart that cares for others? What about faithfulness? He said, you should have practiced these things. You know, you, you've missed the main important things. And then look what Jesus said, without neglecting the former. He said, this is Jesus saying, don't stop tithing. Make sure that you're a person of justice and mercy and faithfulness, but don't stop tithing. Jesus would say that. And so he lays this out, and I believe it's an Old Testament principle and a New Testament principle, and that the tithe is a great starting point. Now, here's the truth, that in this room and those watching online, there are two groups of people right now that are, that are hearing this sermon, those who tithe and those who don't. I don't know who's in which group. This is a, a decision that I made years ago. I have chosen not to know who gives or how much anyone gives in this church. I have friends of mine who are pastors who say, what are you kidding me? That's your responsibility. You need to know. I said, well, I've chosen not to. I don't know if you give or don't. I don't watch when the offering's taken. I don't go to look at the records. I don't know. No idea. So don't worry. Just relax. We're not going to divide you up in teams, shirts and skins, and go after it. We're not going to do that. <laughs> what I do know, and I want you to know, is that every one of your elders, every one of your pastors, and every one of your ministry directors on staff at this church all tithe. I do know that. I don't know how much they do, but I know that they all tithe. Because why would we ever allow someone to shepherd God's flock, to chart the course and the direction of his church, or to set or allocate the funds of the budget if they weren't following God's mandate? We just wouldn't do that. So your leadership tithes, me included. I don't say that as a look at me. I'm just saying the leadership of this church believes in this principle. Now with that, those of you who do tithe, today's sermon is going to be one of those things you kind of review, and you're like, yeah, that's why we do this, and you get all excited. And some of you will even say, man, I wish I could tell my story. Some of you who have tithed but have kind of dropped off, this will be a great reminder for you. And let me just talk to the other group, because I know, I, I don't know specific, but I know you're here, and I know you're watching, and I'm just going to call you out, because right now, you may not be doing this physically, externally, but internally you're doing this. Because today you heard this introduction so far and you have the same attitude that I have when I hear a timeshare salesman. <laughs> like, not gonna work. I am not falling for it this time. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. You can't guilt me. You can't manipulate me. The answer is no. And some of you are there right now. I am so glad you're here. Here's what the deal is. I won't try to strong arm you. I won't try to guilt you. I won't try to manipulate you. I, we're not even going to take a second offering. We've already done that. It's out of the way. Don't worry about it. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you just relax and just listen to why I and the leadership of this church and people sitting around you follow this principle? That's all I'm asking. 
a couple of years ago, um, there was a, uh, a lady that put a post on Facebook um, by her other post. She's on my newsfeed. By her other post, she appears to be involved in her church and, um, and a follow, follower of Christ. And uh, apparently, I'm guessing, that her pastor preached on tithing. So she took the opportunity to get on her own little pulpit and posted this, this pretty extensive post about why she doesn't tithe. And she went into Old Testament, New Testament, free in Christ. And then she went into how she doesn't trust the American church and this and that, blah, 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 blah. And as I was reading this, I just found myself just getting furious and wanting to respond back. And I was so upset because I'm thinking, here's this woman. She's involved in the church. She goes to a church building that apparently she didn't help pay for. She really enjoys having it heated with lights on, but apparently she's not going to help out with that. Her kids go to some Sunday school class, and apparently she doesn't want to help out with that. She gets to worship with the team and get to hear the word of God, even take communion, but don't want to help out with that. I was like a little bit upset about this. I'm still a little upset about this. So I'm, I read this thing, and I went in, and I'm so frustrated. I went into my wife and said, Doreen, quit posting like that. I mean, just, no, no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't my wife. I'm just kidding. But I didn't post back what I was feeling inside, and I've lived with this for two years. So today, this is my official Facebook rant. Are you ready for it? This isn't even part of the sermon. This is how I respond to her. This is why I don't tithe. I want to tell you why I tithe. You don't have to agree with me on any of this. You don't have to follow me on that. I'm just telling you from my perspective. I shared with you pretty openly about my pretty dark, stupid years. I want to share openly why I tithe. The first reason is obedience to God's word. Again, we can differ on this. I believe it's an Old Testament and New Testament concept. I believe uh, it belongs to the Lord and it's holy to the Lord. I want to be obedient to God's word. That's, that's my first and primary reason. The second one is an invitation to God's involvement. That in honoring and involving God in my financial world, it invites him to be a part of it. Now, we invite God to be a part of our financial world when we get backed in a corner, when we need something, when we want something. Suddenly, we're real interested. God, help me get this job. God, help me get this raise. God, help me get this promotion. God, help me make this sale. God, help that, that, that car repair to not cost too much. And we're kind of in this corner, and then all of a sudden, we want God involved. I just want from the very beginning to say, God, I invite you. I want to involve you in my financial world from the very start with that first 10%. I want to honor you. I want to fund your deal. I want to say you're welcome to be a part of my whole financial world. And if that means blessings, then great. And if not, I'm just wanting to involve you. A third one is an investment in God's kingdom. And Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But put up for yourself treasures in heaven, these eternal things. And when we invest in the kingdom of God, when we invest in things that alter spiritual landscapes, when we make a difference in people's lives and their eternity, that's laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than any other subject. The second most frequent subject he talked about was money. So I want to use this as an investment into what God is doing. And not only what God is doing in the world, but I believe in what God is doing in and through this church. And I want to be a part of that. I want to have, when Jesus said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it, I want to be a part of what Jesus has been doing. I want to be a part of his kingdom. And so I invest in that. A fourth one is an expression of gratitude. This isn't in any way an idea of I, I need to pay God back. There's nothing I could do to pay God back for what he's done for me. Nothing at all. But if this is a way that I can just say, God, here's, here's a tangible way of just saying, thanks. 
I love this verse. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And I think of how rich I am because of what Jesus sacrificed for me. God has always given his first and best. He gave his one and only son, the perfect lamb of God, as it were. Jesus gave his blood. He gave his life. He offers his forgiveness to me by his grace for what he did, not for what anything. I don't have to earn this. I can't earn it. His mercies are brand new every morning, including this morning. He's given me second chances more than I could ever count. He's given me his Holy Spirit. He's given me his word. He gives me the body of Christ to be a part of. And that's just the start of some spiritual things. On top of that, he's given me a family. He's given me a wife. He's given me health. He's given me friendship. There, there's so much. How could I ever, ever? I and mean, this is like truly just a token of my appreciation. If that's just a small way of saying thanks, then I want to do that. I want to express my gratitude to God for what he's done. Another reason is an, is a, an exercise in faith. That when I do this, I put my trust in God, that I'm trusting God, not my money. And it, especially if it stretches me a little bit, I'm going to trust you, God, in the midst of all this. That I want to grow. It's an interesting thing that Jesus said, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. That money has this power to reflect the true condition of our heart. Likewise, money has the power to transform the condition of our heart. Where your treasure is, it reveals that's where your heart is. And if you channel your treasure somewhere, like towards the kingdom of God, your heart will follow. And, and there can be that transformation in me. It can grow me in my faith. Scripture says, just as you excel in everything, you're not average. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Don't just squeak by. Don't just be average. You don't approach your faith that way. Excel in this. Here's another one. is slaying the green monster. Slaying the green monster. And what I mean by that is, um, we saw two weeks ago where Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because here's this, this green monster of materialism, this green monster of greed, this green monster of selfishness that comes around us and engulfs us and it takes its talons and digs them in. Nothing breaks the back of greed faster than generosity. And truth is, I want to be generous. Some of you don't. And I'm not, I'm just saying, I want to be generous. And if I know that I, like everyone else, is susceptible to this monster taking me in, I want to do what I can to, to defang it, to declaw it, to break its back. These are interesting words that Paul writes. He says, people who want to get rich uh, fall into temptation and a, tra and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Big warning here. For the love of money, we talked about this, it's not money itself, it's the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I just don't want that. So the best way to battle that is to be generous and I give and I tithe. Here's another one, integrity. And what I mean by that is, some of you claim that I preach on money every January. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But if I preach on this, and if I preach on tithing ever, but don't tithe, that makes me a hypocrite. I do not want to do that. I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I just don't want to preach something that I'm not willing to live. 
James, in the James uh, chapter 3, it says, let not many of you become teachers, for you will incur a stricter judgment. That's a very sobering verse that I take extremely serious. That God has called me to this position to do this, but with it, there comes a higher level of expectation and judgment. And I don't ever want to tell you that you need to do this, you should do this, you ought to do this, if I'm not willing to lead the way on that. See, that's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus called them on it. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I don't want to do that. And the final one, and this one isn't spiritual, but there's a tax benefit for this whole thing. You itemize your deductions. This is tax deductible. It helps you out with your taxes, and it's a good thing. And some of you are saying, Bob... I don't do it for a tax deduction. It's on the bottom of my list. Let me build you a case for why I do. Because some people say, well, that's not spiritual. That's, that's fine. I'm not as spiritual as you. That's good. That's, we've got that established. Now, most often people say, well, I don't, I don't do it for tax benefits. That's why I don't use the, the envelopes and all this. I don't want to keep track of all that. My guess is this. Those who are so spiritual that they don't keep track of it probably greatly overestimate how much they actually give. Because if they did actually keep track or had someone keep track, it would probably fall far short of what they thought they were doing. Here's another thing on this one. Is that our government has said, you can deduct this if you will keep track of this and claim this. You don't have to pay the government as much tax. I'm just going to state this. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party, or Tea Party, or Green Tea Party. I don't care what party you come from. Whoever you are, there is some part of our government spending that you disagree with. You don't like the way they spend tax dollars. So here's a thought. Then claim those deductions, and instead of giving the government that tax, those tax dollars, take those tax dollars, and then channel them for the things that you think that they ought to be channeled for to help with the poor, to save the refugees, to be pro-life, whatever it might be, or to pay down your debt or to save some things up. You say, well, it's not so spiritual. Look what Jesus said. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. And to God what is God's. Pay your tithe. It's holy to him. It belongs to him. And they're all amazed at him. So there you have it. There's eight reasons why I tithe. You don't have to agree with me. I'm not going to fight you. I'll still let you be my friend on Facebook. All that. I'm not going to unfriend you. It's, it's fine. I'm just telling you my deal. And then I thought, and this, one, this is really bad English, and it's, it sounds awkward, because I want to tell you why I, the reasons that, not why I tithe. See, that sounds really weird, but I didn't want to say, here's why I tithe, and here's why I don't tithe, because I do tithe, because that wouldn't work. So these are, this is not why I tithe. Does that make sense? You know what I'm trying to say? These are not the reasons that I tithe, because God or the church needs it. We've already established that. God doesn't need our money. He's God. And honestly, the church, because of the conservative nature of the leadership of this church, and because of the generosity of this church, the church doesn't need your money. In our January elders meeting, we were going over the financial statements. We're seven months into our financial year. We're ahead of budget. Because of your generosity, because of the conservative nature of our, of our pastors and our planning and, and all of that. And I said to our elders, I said, you know what I love about this? 
is that I can go into a finance series not motivated because we have a great need. I can go into a finance series motivated because God's word says this. And Bill Mihalik, one of our elders, he said, this allows you to teach, not to beg. And here's the truth. Even if someone wrote that $5 million check that I was talking about at the beginning, even if we had more money than we ever knew what to do with, I would still tithe because I don't tithe for this reason. I would still teach tithing because it's not about this. All right, here's another one. To get rich. Now, I believe that God blesses, and we're going to talk about that. But there are some pastors and preachers and teachers and televangelists and others that would say, give to God 10, and he's going to give you 100, and he'll tenfold and all this stuff, and get rich quick. And That's not the reason. That is not the reason. I do believe God blesses, but that's not the reason that I tithe. And I, I don't tithe because, like, of admission. You know, you go to this thing here, and you pay admission, right? Because you, you go to a movie, you pay admission. You go to the Seahawks, you pay big admission. You go to the Bellingham Bells, you pay admission. So we come to church, all right, so it's not as good as a Seahawk game. We're not going to pay that much. You know, the band was all right, but the preacher, it's not like a movie. Nothing blew up, you know. Like, I don't do, you know, I don't pay for admission. See, some of you are at home right now. You're saying, I don't have to give today because I didn't go. Listen, that's not the reason that I tithe. And it's not an evaluation of how I or the band or the church or anyone else performed. I kid you not, several years ago, this is probably 10 years ago, a man who was new to our church, he uh, took me to lunch, and for whatever reason, the sermon that I had preached the week before, really just, it just impacted him. And he just went on and on, it was like, enough. And, he, and then he said, he said, Bob, if you took the offering at the end of the sermon, after a sermon like that, I think you'd get more offering. It's like, so the offering and the budget is contingent on how well I preach? I better start preaching better. You know, we're in trouble. That's not the reason. So those are the reasons. I'm, I just wanted to kind of give that to you. That's why I, I tithe. That's not why I tithe. Now my Facebook rant is over. Thank you for hearing me out. Ready for a sermon? All right, let's get started. So that's my stuff. I want you to look at this. And again, this is just kind of talking about, again, undo your arms. Just want you to hear why some of us tithe. What Jesus said, and these are powerful, profound words. We could spend the whole time on this. He said, give, and it will be given to you. And then he qualifies it. A good measure, not like just squeaking by, a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and, and overflowing, running over, it will be poured into your lap. And then he says this, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And this is amazing. This is Jesus. This is our Lord who said this. And I've highlighted this because I'm going to use the word LAP as kind of an acronym for where we're going to go in the remainder of our time. Kind of an, an acronym, L being law, A being attitude, and P being a promise. And I just want to kind of talk through all three of these because it's like Jesus says, it's going to be dropped in your lap. You, you follow me on this one. Now, when we talk about law, I'm not talking about a law like the government gives us and then it's a penalty or a, you know, discipline if you don't follow it. I'm not even talking about the Levitical law that we've already looked at. I'm talking about the law, like the laws of nature, the law, like law of gravity. Like this just is the way it is, the way things happen. Newton's laws on motion, those kind of things. And the law that we see over and over again in Scripture is the law of sowing and reaping or planting and harvesting. And again, this law in Scripture comes up again and again and again in multiple different facets. And it's a, it's a law that farmers live by. If I plant the seed, it's going to grow that. I can harvest it. I can live. It takes faith. 
but it's, most farmers are pretty confident about this law. And there's two different angles to it. One is what kind of seed and how much seed. I mean, the obvious is if you plant watermelon seeds, you're not going to grow sunflowers. That just, duh, okay? And Scripture talks about that as well. In Galatians 6, when it says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. A man will reap what he sows, and then he talks about what kind of seeds you're, you're planting. The one who sows to the flesh, to the sinful nature, will reap destruction. It's like a warning, don't, don't plant that. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life, like there's an encouragement. That's the kind of seed you want to plant. And then there's also an instance where he talks about the quantity. Now, here's real simple. We're in Whatcom County. If you plant a raspberry bush, it will produce... Raspberries. Okay, good. If you plant five acres of raspberry bushes, it will produce that much more. It's just simple. It's just the way it is. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which is great, I, I, wish, I wish you would read those chapters to get this in context so you know I'm not just cherry-picking verses. He's talking about the financial matters, and he uses this quantity deal. And he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now remember, in this context, he's talking about financial generosity. Read it for yourself. And it sounds a lot like what Jesus said, with, with the measure you'll use, it will be used, uh, you know, it will be measured to you. Every time, every time I preach about tithing, someone will say, okay, this whole tithing thing, is that on my net income or on my gross income? Every time, and I'm just going to call you out on this one, I believe that nine times out of ten when people ask that question, they're using it as a smokescreen. They're using it as a divergent topic so that if we can get down into the weeds of these details, I don't have to really talk about am I even tithing either. So if you ask me, should it be the net or the gross, maybe I'll just respond and say, well, which are you currently doing right now? What the, let's not go there. So here's what I would say to you. Maybe you start out with whatever you're currently doing. If it's the net, great. If it's the gross, great. Or maybe you start with the net, and as God blesses you, you move to gross. Listen, I'm not trying to, not trying to strong arm you here. I don't want you to get this legalistic deal. Paul didn't either. He said each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You decide. For me, I would rather err on the side of generous. I'd rather sow generously. That's just, that's just me. But you've got to figure this one out, what you decide in your heart. There's a, a story about a, a widow. And, and in biblical times, widows, far and large, for the most part, were not uh, financially well off because their husband had died. So Elisha is a prophet, and there's a godly man who's a part of his school of prophets who dies. Don't know why, don't know what happened, but he leaves a wife and two children, two sons. And this widow comes to Elisha and says, this whole thing, you know, my, my husband was a part of your school, he's dead, and now my, I've got my two sons, and the creditors are coming to take my sons away. And Elisha's like, what do you want me to do? And he says, what do you have? She says, I've got nothing. Okay, I got a little bit of oil. And this is what he says. 
Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Now the story goes on, Elisha says, sell the oil, pay off your debts, you can go on with your life. Here's the concept that's so amazing. So sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So generously, you'll reap generously. If she and her sons had gathered three jars, how much oil would there have been? Three jars worth. It implies if they gathered 30 jars, there would have been 30 jars worth of oil. It implies that if they would have gathered 300 jars, there would have been 300 jars of oil because it was after they ran out of jars, then the oil stopped. See, this is the law of sowing and reaping. All right, let's move on. The A. The A is the attitude of a grateful steward. And we've already talked about the gratitude piece. This is where the cheerful part goes, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. This, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. This, of all that he's done for us, his goodness to us, his blessings to us, his faithfulness to us. I mean, just amazing stuff. But a steward as well. And here's a mistake that some of us make. We miss the whole stewardship piece. We believe that we're owners, not stewards. And an owner says, this is mine. And some owners say, this is mine, and you can't have it. And some owners say, this is mine, and God, you can't have it. This is mine. I own this. And then there are some owners that are like obligated owners. This is mine. I own it. And I have to give you some, so here you go. It's not a cheerful giver, but that's an obligated owner. And some owners are obedient owners. This is mine. I own it. And yes, I'll do my part. This is my responsibility, so I gladly do that. And, and I, you know, doing my duty. But I'm still an owner. We are stewards, not owners. Everything we have is from God. It all belongs to God. And there will be some day when it doesn't belong to us anymore. We already talked about that. We just steward it. We're responsible for managing it. Some of you may remember, if you were here two weeks ago, I was handing out $100 bills that weekend. And um, if you weren't here, uh, I want to show you what I did. If you were here, I want to remind you to watch this real quick. I'm wondering, uh, is there someone that's willing to hold on to this for me? Okay, listen, here's, here's the criteria. You have to commit to being um, at church for the next couple weeks in this service. Can you do that? Can you do that? Sure, okay, come on up here. Quick, hurry, hurry, hurry. Okay. All right, run, run in church. <laughs> Stuff I got in trouble for as a kid. It's my rebellion. What's your name? Aaron. Aaron, Aaron this is a, just a piece of paper with a, a dead guy. Uh, it kind of looks like me, doesn't it? Yeah. No, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, Aaron, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you hold on to this. This is mine. I'm going to let you hold on to this, and I need you um, to hold on to it for this whole series. Okay, because I'm going to ask for it back. So you come back for the next two weeks, bring your Bible and my money. That's all you need. Okay, there you go. All right, thanks, Aaron. All right. Talk to you later. Okay, so Aaron's going to help me out with that. Um, Aaron, I know this is a risk because snow. Aaron, yes, Aaron, come on up. All right. Yeah. Very good. Whew, I was sweating that one with this snow. All right, Aaron. Hey, I gave something to you a couple weeks ago. You have it for me? 
Awesome. Look, Aaron just gave me $100. Isn't that amazing? Now let me ask you a question. Aaron just gave me $100. Is Aaron like extremely super ultra generous by giving me this? No. no. Why not? He's stewarding. He's stewarding. It's, it was mine. I, he, he agreed to hold on to it and give it back to me when I asked for it, didn't you, Aaron? And he did, and, and I'm, really, I'm really grateful for that. It doesn't make him generous, doesn't make him like sacrificial, it doesn't make him super saint, it just makes him responsible that he held on to it, and he gave it back to me. Aaron, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to set that right there. Uh, there's one more thing I want you to do for me, if you, would, if you don't mind. Would you be willing um, to read a scripture for us? Sure. Okay, it's right here. All right. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Yeah, and that's exactly uh, what, what Aaron just did. He's like, I'm not being generous. I gave it to him two weeks ago. He gave it back to me. It's a great deal. Aaron has been a wonderful, stellar example of what you want as an illustration in a sermon, hasn't he? Yeah, should we thank him for that? All right, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Oh, hey, Aaron, Aaron, come here for a second. I want to give this to you. And uh, it's only a $10 bill, don't worry. Uh, that's, that's yours. That's not mine anymore. I'm giving that to you. You don't have to bring it back to church. You can do whatever you want. Knock yourself out with it, okay? That's just me saying thank you for that. Okay, thanks. All right, good. Now, now here's the deal. Aaron was just holding on to what was mine. And when I asked for it back, he gave it to me. And then I gave him 10 bucks just because... I'm a good guy. <laughs> but what if I would have given him $90? That would have been pretty amazing. And the reason I say that, and we're going to let this be a, a visual for us, this is going to represent everything that God gives us. We're just going to use a, a, big, a big visual on this. Everything that God gives us. It all came from him. It all belongs to him. Someday it's not going to be ours anyway. He says, I want you to steward this. He says, I'm giving you all of this. I want you to steward this. And he says, oh, and by the way, I want $10 back. I want 10% back. I, I, you keep the 90. God says, do the exact opposite of what Pastor Bob just did for Aaron. I gave him 10. God says, I'm giving you this. I'm asking for 10 back. You keep 90. Let me just give you a visual to see what this looks like. This is 10%. Now take a look at this. God gives us all this. He says, this is mine, holy to me. This is what I'm asking back. And then you get all of this. Why is it that we get so hung up with this right here? Because the truth is, the bigger this gets, the more difficult this gets, even though the percentage is the same. Statistics will show people who make more money give less across the board. In the United States, people who make two to four hundred, two to five hundred thousand a year give, on average, two point six percent of their income. Someone who has an adjusted rate of eighty thousand a year, they give three point five percent. People who make less than twenty-five thousand a year in America give twelve point three percent. Now, why is that? Because we get so impressed with the amount, not with the percentage. We get impressed and depressed with that amount, and as this gets bigger, the amount gets bigger, but the percentage stays the same. And God says, it's kind of a flat rate deal, 10% for everybody. And you say, well, that was a whole lot easier when I just had a you know, job at the 
fast food place or paper route or whatever, and now that I've owned a business and I've got hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, it's a lot more difficult. Well, maybe we ought to pray that God puts you back on a paper route. Because at least then you can be honoring God and obedient to his word. Set yourself up for a greater blessed life. All right, I'm off of that one too. Let's move on. The P, the P is this. It's the promise of provision. And again, I don't want to do the wealth and prosperity thing. But I do know this, and there are people in this room that would vouch for it after every service this weekend. I've had people come up and tell me their story. I started honoring God. This is what happened. I started honoring God. I didn't even see this one coming. This, you know, it's God gets involved, and he just does. In that passage where, where Paul says, hey, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Don't forget to factor in God and his involvement. You say, well, it doesn't really pencil out on paper. Do you know how many people have learned this from experience? Say, it didn't work on paper. But when God got involved, it did work. And we can't always explain it. And sometimes we weren't expecting the sale. We didn't see this one coming in. This promotion or this bonus or this gift from this relative or whatever. It just, I'm just telling you, God works in mysterious ways when we honor him with this. I've seen it in my life. So many people in this room have seen it as well. We've looked at the wisdom of Solomon. Probably the verses that Solomon is best known for. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. That trust God, even when it doesn't make sense, just trust him. What's amazing is in that context, three verses later, he says, here's a way you can try this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Trust me in this. It's a matter of trust. Do you trust God? Is he true to his word? Is he able? Is he speaking the truth to us on this? You know, in that, in that passage in Malachi, so unique in that God was saying, hey, listen, you, you've, been, you've been messing up on this tithing thing. Stop robbing me. And then he says this, bring the whole tithe, not a part of it, the whole tithe into the store, into my storehouse, you know, to, to the temple there, that there may be food in my house. Fund my kingdom. And this is the only place in all of Scripture, the only place in all of Scripture where God says, test me in this. Only time God says, test me. I, I'm, I dare you. Throwing it down. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for me. He says, test it. Test me on this. See if I'm trustworthy. See if I'll come through for you. And see, that's what I want for every one of you. I, I want to say to you, don't rob God and don't cheat yourself out of a blessing. And if you question my motives and you want to try this but you don't trust me, then tithe to a different church. I just want you to be obedient to God. I want you to experience the blessings. I want you to invest in the kingdom of God. I want you to know that his promises are true, that he is trustworthy. Now, honestly, we try to, to remove every barrier to help you out with this. I mean, every week in the link, you get one of these envelopes. Some of you never ever knew what this was for except to play tic-tac-toe. Now, you know that there's maybe another purpose. 
and part of this is so you can give and every quarter you'll give a you'll get a receive in the mail a quarterly giving letter and then at the end of the year how much you gave over the year it's tax deductible it also for yourself i don't i don't get these for any of you i don't know what you give but for you it's your own accountability how did we do this year did we give the full tithe did we give 10 percent in the link this week there's a couple of other things as well one is this electronic funds transfer deal because many of you do all your banking online, you pay your bills online, you do your whole world online. Why not do it with this as well? Here's the other benefit from this. Is you say, well, yeah, I always forget or I don't, I, I hardly ever use my checkbook. In fact, I only use it for church stuff and I never bring it. It's not in my purse. I don't have it in my car. I forget and I get behind. And like this way, it just allows you to say, you know what? I want to be, be given the full tithe. I'm going to have this automated so that I don't forget. It's a great opportunity for you, a great option. Just fill that out. Put that in one of those tithe envelopes and turn that in. They'll take care of that. This one comes with a caveat, this next one, because you know how I feel about this. This one is only for those people, I would say only for those people who pay off their credit cards every single month. Because you know, you heard me talk about this last week. It would be absolutely foolish for you to pay one penny of interest on a credit card tithe. That would be stupid. Don't do that. But if you pay off your credit card every month and you want to do this with a credit card rather than an, an electronic funds transfer, and you're saying, I can honor God, get a tax deduction, and Sky Miles? What's not to love about that? Well, then great. That's another opportunity for you. See, some of you right now, you, you're going back to this mode, aren't you? So there is one other thing. Because I really do want all of you to do this. We want to give you a money-back guarantee We've done this before. It's the tithe test guarantee. And if you're saying, okay, I, I'm willing to give this a try for the next three and a half months between now and May 15th, if you fill out one of these cards, put it in there, say, I'm going to try this. If you fill out one of these cards, any time between now and May 15th, if you ever come to this idea of thinking, what was I thinking? That was so stupid. I said no, and he sold me on it. Now I'm tithing with all of my timeshares. Okay. Whatever. Anytime between now and May 15th, you say, that was so dumb. You write a letter. I don't get a report of who does this, so don't worry about me. You write a letter. One person gets it. We will refund every penny that you gave between now and May 15th. You say, well, I have this need, and this thing came up as unforeseen. No questions asked. We'll give you your money back. It might, you don't have to be qualified. It's not even a need. It's just like, I saw something shiny and new, and I'm you know, greedy. Whatever. I want my money back. No questions asked. Okay. Now, with that, you have to fill one of these out, and you do need to use this. Because if you write a letter saying, I think I gave about $28,000, so some change, but keep the change, not going to work. All right? Have to do that so we can keep record. And that way, you can test God with a safety net. And at the end of it, if God isn't faithful, is he untrue to, your word, to his word? Stop tithing. Shoot, for that matter, stop coming to church. Because if you can't trust God with your finances, why on earth would you trust him with your soul for eternity? Test him on this. So I just want this for every one of you. And we want to make it as risk-free as possible and take God at his word. All right, what does Jesus say? Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. These are the words of your Lord and Savior. I pray that this is the reality that you experience, not just words.
that you read. All right, that's it. No second offering. Stand and we'll close in prayer. As you're standing, some of you are aware, and I want to close our time to get today. Um, Pastor Steve Mason passed away this week, very unexpectedly, massive heart attack. Uh, he's been very influential in our community for a lot of years. Uh, was a pastor of Bellingham CTK, uh, Christ the King Church, for many, many years. And, uh, and then more recently, pastor of uh, Christ Community Church over in the Guide. And I just want us to pray for his family, uh, for that church, for Christ Community Church right now. And um, so if you just join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are such an incredibly good God. And Lord, in this area of finance, I'm just so grateful for the practical way that you want to get involved. And I pray that we would take you at your word. We would honor you. And we would invite you. We'd invest in your kingdom. We'd see you working. God, today our hearts are heavy. We pray for Steve's family, the loss. We pray that your Holy Spirit would surround them with your grace and your comfort and peace. God, we rejoice with Steve that he's in your presence and the hope of eternity that we have. And Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters at Christ Community Church. God, surround them as a body. Would you unite them and draw them close together? And God, would you raise up a leader to take them into the next chapter, to bring a pastor for them? So God, we just pray that in all of this, that you would be glorified. And we pray in your name. Amen.